you know, I found a solution to regret. The Bible tells us in Romans 8 that he makes all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to your purpose. So if the enemy comes to remind you of something that you regret, you can go, well, thank you, Lord. You are working all things, even that, to the good of my heart and for my life. And I can bring that to the exchange table. And not only are you going to heal me of that regret, not are you going to, only going to set me free, you're going to give us double recompense. Oh, God is so good. Uh, it's lovely to be able to speak without an interpreter. Hallelujah. Oh, as we were in, um, had the joy of being in France uh, just recently, we were staying at the hotel, um, which was just a short walk to the conference center. And so... Um, we'd be going back and forth. And the hunger there, though, was remarkable. Um, it got to the point, um, because as we're walking up and down the street, people would just be coming and asking for prayer and being delivered in the foyer or on the street and being slain in the spirit that I had to try. I couldn't actually walk back just with, with me and Em or um, if Tom, Tom stayed for every session and I'd, I'd go back and have a bit of a rest every now and then. But I'd have to take a catcher with me up on the street because otherwise Emily and I would be having to catch people. And if I couldn't get a catcher, I'd just have to avoid I, I contact because I knew I couldn't pray for them without God moving, and um, which is so exciting. And to see the deliverance that God was just spontaneously doing was so, so exciting. And to see the hearts of people responding when they heard the message that they could have an assurance of salvation was just so beautiful to see the penny drop and realize, you mean I can actually have confidence that I I will go to heaven was just glorious and to see the harvest coming in the harvest is so so ripe one night in worship I, I saw a door that was so so tall and so huge that I couldn't see to the top of this door this big wooden door and then I saw a huge key and the Lord spoke and said, it's the key of David that's unlocking doors that no man can open and, and closing doors that no man can shut. And it's bigger than you can yet imagine. And I really believe the Holy Spirit wanting to invite us to press in deeper to this revelation of the key of David. The, the key of David, when I look at it, is, is the relationship that David had with the Lord. You know, when if I compare Saul and David, you never read the Psalms of Saul. But you do read the Psalms of David. Because Saul, he had a technical relationship to God in that he would speak to the Lord through a prophet or uh, through even through a medium he was trying to get direction he he believed in God but he didn't have his own personal connection with the Lord but David as imperfect as he was and we should remember sometimes when we talk about the great men and women of God when we talk about the great revivalists 
we will hear about the great exploits and that's just what God does. He loves to talk about the good things he's done. But sometimes we forget that they are human, that they were human people who had their own struggles, their own difficulties. They had, their own, they had weaknesses, they had trials, they had times of discouragement. Uh, but, you know, as we look at the life of David, the key that he had there, and I look and I see, you know, David... Um, and all that he went through and all that he did, the Lord's delight to establish him and the house of David, causing the king, to, uh, the king of glory to be born in the line of David. Uh, it's just significant, the tabernacle of David, everything about David. And yet Saul was disqualified from and and had the the kingship and the line taken away from him for um initially he um he he went ahead of the lord and he he did the sacrifice that he was commanded to wait for Samuel to do. But then even then, when he was confronted, instead of humbling himself and going, oh, yeah, that was wrong, he justified himself. And then again, when he sinned against the Lord and was then confronted, his heart, it, it wasn't tender like David. David sinned and he made terrible messes. He made big mistakes. But he always maintained this tender heart of repentance toward the Lord. He, he maintained this recognition that everything comes from you, God, that I don't have to hustle to try to have things happen. I don't have to convince anybody. You are my source. And, and David knew that when he had nobody else, and he literally got to a point where he had nobody else. His wives and children had been taken. The city had been burned. His king and mentor was trying to kill him, Saul. And the army that he was anointed and called to lead was being led to chase and hunt him down. And then his best friends started talking about stoning him in their distress and their grief. He had no one. And the Bible tells us that David encouraged himself in the Lord, his God. My favorite word there in that sentence is his God. It was his God, not just the God of Israel, not just the God that they serve. It was his God, his God that he'd known from his youth, his God that he'd talked with in the wilderness, his God that had been with him through the trials, through the ups and through the downs, his God that he would write about in Psalm 27 to say, one thing I have desired, this will I seek, that I may gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, to dwell in his temple, hallelujah. It's the same key that Stephen had when he was being stoned. As they were hurling insults at him and, and getting ready to kill him, it says his face shone like that of an angel. I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. That is the key of David. That's a door that no one can close on you. Nobody, nothing, no situation, no circumstance can shut down that free flow of the oil and the wine, the presence of God, the river of heaven that flows from the throne of God. In that place, when you know how to find him, when you've got nothing and no one else, 
I tell you, you don't even have to be forsaken. The reality is you are a complicated person. I am definitely a complicated person. And there is actually nobody on the planet that fully understands me, not even me. But God, he understands me. He completely gets me. And he is the one person, the one that is on call 24-7, thinking thoughts about me that are too numerous to be numbered continuously, wanting to pour in love into my life beyond what I can cope with 24-7, ready to love us. And I believe that as we learn what it looks like, to tap into this river that flows from his throne, to cultivate this magnificent key of David in our lives, we are going to see the door to the harvest field. We're going to see the door to the nations, the door to the things that the Lord has promised open in such a big way that no one and nothing can shut it down. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus, everybody said... Amen. Hallelujah. Well, if you can pass my Bible up to me, I'm going to need that. Thank you, sir. We're going to turn to Psalm 94, if you've got your Bibles. Now, they're not quite sure exactly who wrote Psalm 94. If you ask me, it sounds a lot like David. Praise the Lord. But either way, I want you to have a look at this. We're going to start at verse 17. If the Lord had not been my help, my, my soul would soon have dwelt in the abode of silence. If I should say, my foot has slipped, your loving kindness, O oh Lord, will hold me up. In other words, what he's saying is, praise God, he's telling us that even when you feel like, oh God, I'm slipping, help, he is there, your ever-present help to say, I'm here to hold your hand. Though you fall, though you fall, you will not be cast down for the Lord upholds you with his hand. Hallelujah. He is your ever-present help. I was joking with the family as we were driving in. Have you ever seen this? There's a YouTube clip of the German Coast Guard. And, and it's, it's really funny. There's a German Coast Guard and there's a, a boat in the middle of the night that starts bringing out a mayday. Help, help, we're sinking. And the German um, Coast Guard's going, this is the German Coast Guard, what do you need? Help, help, we're sinking. He says, what are you sinking about? <laughs> But help, help, when you're sinking, the good question is, what are you sinking about? <laughs> because where your focus is, is where your strength comes from. And if your focus is on the, I'm sinking, I'm sinking, you are going to continue to get stuck in the mire. I believe the Holy Spirit wants to help you. The next verse here says, When my anxious thoughts multiply within me, your consolations delight my soul. 
we got back and we had some uh, mold multiplying in places it shouldn't. Anybody else had this problem with the abundance of rain? Praise the Lord. But no, when, when your anxious thoughts start to multiply, instead of going, help, help, I'm sinking, and thinking, I'm looking at this and what's going to happen? God does want you to call out to him and say, help, God. Be honest with him and recognize that as you call to him for help, he is there saying, you, though you may feel like you're slipping, though you may have slipped, I will not let you fall. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I, I've got so many scripture and songs going through my head from um, when I was a child. Though he fall, though he fall, he will not be cast down. For the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. It's the truth. And then as I sang it, Tom was able to supply all the rest of the words. He's got an incredible musical memory. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, though he fall, he will not be cast down. For the Lord upholdeth him with his hands. Apologize for anybody born after 1980. <laughs> Hallelujah. But it's actually scripture. It's, I think it's Psalm 37. And the Lord wants you to know that when you feel like you are being overwhelmed, because there are times, I tell you, even last night, I was jet lagging. And so was Tom. I could hear him tossing and turning. And he just gave up at 4.30 and decided to get up. God bless him. But I kept trying. I'm going to get to sleep. I'm going to get to sleep. And, but I had a lot of time to pray. So a lot of you have been prayed for multiple times last night. <laughs> so I figure if I'm going to be awake, I might as well be praying. But sometimes when it's late at night and I'm, and I'm really tired, it can be difficult to battle off negative thoughts. Has anybody else ever had this, this issue? It's like it's in the dark. I'm coming after you in the dark. He's sneaky. He does. He's like, oh, it's dark. I'm going to scare us some more. <laughs> you're sinking. You're sinking. <laughs> and then you have to say, what am I sinking about? <laughs> I have to think about it. I'm not going to think about that. No. No, I'm not going to think about that. No, I see you. I want to turn the light on. I know you. Your name is Fear. And I will not have you. Let's, let's turn, if you want, for a moment to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Praise the Lord. I'm just going to read it from the beginning because it's really good. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace. Hallelujah. Grace, mercy, and peace. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, night and day. Praise the Lord. Longing to see you, even as I recall your tears, that I may be filled with joy. For I'm mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm sure that it's in you as well. You know what? God loves 
He loves you. He loves you. And he wants to encourage you. And he wants you to generationally pass on that same sincere faith through the generations. Hallelujah. And and God values it. He sees it. He loves it. And he wants you to pass it on through discipleship. He wants you making sons and daughters in the Lord, sharing your, your faith. Hallelujah. For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Other versions say, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God or to stir up the gift of God. Josh, you were with us when we were down at the Gold Coast and (laughs) I'd say something and someone over here would say, Jesus, someone over here would say, Jesus, and it would be inevitably followed by someone over here saying, stir it up. Every time I read this scripture, I think I'm stir it up. Hallelujah. Jesus, Jesus, stir it up. And, but the truth is, it's you and I that are responsible to stir it up. And I, yeah, I love it. But today, we've come from summer in the Northern Hemisphere to like, it's silly cold. Like, Brisbane, Queensland, apologies to Tasmania. We don't even understand what you're going through. But for us here, uh, yes, we understand also the Kiwis. Yes, you are a different breed. But here in Queensland, (laughs) we don't understand cold. And so it hits seven degrees and we're like, are you kidding? Are we still alive? It's seven degrees. And so um, I got up this morning and Tom who's been up since 4.30, had started a fire, which is awesome. And I kept it going all day long. So I, I understand this stir it up. You know, when the fire's going, it gets a good bed of coals. It, it still, though, goes and burns through the fuel. So you need to put another log on the fire. I tell you, my life's a musical. I've got a song for everything. (laughs) But you need to put more fuel on the fire. And then we've got these bellows that I put and I (laughs) breathe with the bellows on the coals until the flames burst up and it catches a light again. And throughout the day, I've got to keep feeding it. I've got to keep doing the bellows. And the fire comes. This is what the scripture is saying. It's saying, kindle, stir up, fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And, and that's fascinating. What is this gift of God? I love the laying on of hands. Um, I have received a whole lot of the laying on of hands and done a whole lot of the laying on of hands um, over these last six weeks or so. I've been with Randy Clark, and I tell you, he was absolutely on fire. And then Jean-Luc, the Holy Ghost, I have never seen a man as possessed by the Holy Ghost as that man. It was just incredible. Tom said he was feeling electricity all through his body just as as he um, had hands laid on. First time he's ever really experienced that in a, in a physical, powerful way like that. And um, 
There is something that happens as we stir one another up, as we encourage each other, as we have this powerful um, laying on of hands. There's something that happens as a gift is imparted. And you might ask, well, what is this gift? Well, I've got the gift of prophecy. You might move in healing. I heard wonderful testimony about people getting saved this week. Loretta, I'm just loving what the Lord's doing through you. You may be operating in all the gifts and think to yourself, well, what do I need this laying on of hands for? What is this gift that Paul was talking about? I believe the Lord is referring to the filling of the Holy Spirit that you know, the Bible talks about us being continually filled, filled to overflowing with all the fullness of God. And if we read the next verse, it says here, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and of love and of discipline. In other verses, it says, For God has not given us versions, uh, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. Others, other versions will say, of self control, which is the ability not to give in to fear. Hallelujah. It's a God-given ability to discipline your thoughts when you recognize the boogeyman coming in the middle of the night to take you down the track of anxious thoughts multiplying for you to be able to go, hey, God has not given me a spirit of fear. He has given me a spirit of love, perfect love, which casts out fear, of power and of a sound mind. Hallelujah. But it's interesting that this fire that they're talking about kindling here is linked to not walking in a spirit of fear. Because the, the Bible tells us when the Holy Ghost comes upon you, you will have boldness. They were filled with boldness. They were filled with power to be a witness, to boldly proclaim when they were under the threat of death. They had this holy boldness that came upon them. I believe that God is inviting us to stir it up, stir up this revival and recognize it's not just about a nice touch when we come to church, but every time we are encountering the presence of God, we are putting another log on the fire, we are feeding this, we are stirring it up, we are fanning it into flame, and it is releasing a holy boldness and a revelation that I have a spirit of power, I have have a spirit of self-control that is not going to have to tolerate these anxious thoughts that keep trying to multiply like Queensland mould. Hallelujah. And so I believe the Holy Spirit is wanting us to begin to have a think about it. What does it look like? What do you do to feed the fire? Tom has been chopping up wood, but what, what can we do to feed the fire? You know, you can feed the fire by opening up the Word of God, by feasting on the Word of God. Hallelujah. You can, uh, you can feed the fire by asking the Holy Spirit for encouragement, for help, and He'll speak to you a word. He'll bring to your remembrance the things that uh, the Lord has spoken to you. You can fan the fire by intentionally opening your mouth and praising God, like Paul and Silas in the prison. I tell you, they stirred it up. 
There was an earthquake, I believe, in Brisbane this week. Hallelujah. But I believe that there is a glorious earthquake of the power and the presence of God that's going to be released as the people of God give themselves intentionally to opening their mouth and singing, opening their mouth and worshipping, opening their mouth and praising God. Hallelujah. There's many things that you can do to stir it up. But if you are struggling with negativity and fear or condemnation or, if, or thoughts that are going to have you try and beat yourself up and live in regret. Anybody recognize any of these boogeymen that come in the middle of the night? Yeah, they come with, it comes with all sorts of offerings. Here, let's think about, oh, if only you'd done that or if only you hadn't done that. Uh, you know, I found a solution to regret. The Bible tells us in Romans 8, that he makes all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to your purpose. So if the enemy comes to remind you of something that you regret, you can go, well, thank you, Lord. You are working all things, even that, to the good of my heart and for, and to, and for my life. And I can bring that to the exchange table. And not only are you going to heal me of that Regret, not are you going, only going to set me free, you're going to give us double recompense. Hallelujah. Going back to this scripture in verse 19, when my anxious thoughts multiply within me, your consolations delight my soul. The good news is that when God speaks and you cry out, Help, help, I'm seeking. He will give you the help that you're looking for. He'll bring to your remembrance of scripture. He'll bring to your, your mind a word that'll encourage your heart. But that word is not designed just to settle you down and calm your fear. God doesn't just want you not being afraid. He wants you to recognize that those words, those consolations are meant to delight your soul. And for me, as I'm looking at this, I'm realizing that sometimes I take what the, the Lord gives me when I cry out, help, help, I'm sinking. God will bring me a, a scripture or he'll bring me a word and I'll go, yeah, yeah, that's right, that's good. Okay, that's good. And I'll leave it there. And not realize that actually that word is an invitation for me to fix my thinking on. And as I look at it, not only receive supernatural peace, supernatural love that casts out fear, but he wants me to drink it in, to meditate on it, to recognize it, not just as a life preserver, but an invitation into a banqueting feast of delight. I want to close today's program by leaving you with this thought. Are you believing God for a miracle, but haven't seen it happen yet? Here are four things that have really helped me. Number one, stand on his word. Know that it is his will for you to be healed. Find a scripture verse that really speaks to you and declare it. I like Isaiah 53, five. By his stripes, we are healed. Number two, ask and keep on asking. Just as it says in Luke 11, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Don't give up. Number three, 
believe that you've already received it and it will be yours, just as Jesus says in Mark 11:24. Number four, picture it, visualize it, see it in your mind and celebrate it in advance. Just like Abraham was encouraged to picture the stars and see it. God wants you to see it, believe it, declare it, and you'll have it. Hallelujah. I love our monthly partners. I get to see them at conferences and every month we get to have this interactive Zoom live with people from all over the world who are part of our monthly partners mentoring group. I'd love for you to be a part of that. We can ask questions and have discussions about the latest things that the Lord is doing. So why don't you join us as a monthly partner and help us take the message of Jesus to the world that needs to hear it.